Do you like that? There it is. There it is. Welcome to the Temple of Blair. How are you? How are you? We've, we've started now. I'm looking at myself. Delayed. This is very strange. I know. Well, I thought I'd put in some effort for a change. And considering we don't do like these kind of podcasts, like pretty much ever, I thought it might be time to build something a bit more regular. How annoying is the fan in the background? Like, literally, how annoying is it? Kind of annoying. Oh, okay. Yeah, not great. Not, not, I wouldn't, yeah. Well, it's going to be annoying, but uh, professional. If, if yeah, whatever. It's no professional. You know, look at the fucking screen. There's zero professionalism going into this at all, so it's fine. No, I guess, like, going going forward, what I thought was, because I'm trying to ramp up more of the, the blessed stuff, in the wake of the Roadrunner documentary and the professionalism of the Roadrunner documentary kind of going into the shitter, I kind of figured, you know what, let's just do more blessed stuff. The stakes are a bit lower. Um, and I remember you liked the news segments and the, the news segments and things like that. So I thought, fuck it. Nine o'clock on a Tuesday. We'll just keep doing these and that can be the podcast. And then if we have guests, then we have guests and if not, then if then we don't, and that's fine too. But I think just a regular slot on a Tuesday is an appropriate way to go about it. Um, rather than just sort of like trying to find minutes in between work and things like that. That was the thinking behind it anyway. Hmm. And I just sort of just said, did, do you want to do know there was any thinking behind what you do, but... I said to you, do you want to just do it into a weekly stream, what you do on Tuesday night? And that's kind of the only correspondence we've really had on the matter, to be honest. So, Well, this, this time next week, I'll be abroad, so that already throws a spanner oh, in the works for that. Fuck then, isn't it? I'll you know, plan for it. Regularity. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, uh, so I'll, just I'll, speak to yourself. I'll get a, a co-host or something like that. By the way, I've got like some, I've got beers next to me, so that's what all the clank is. Yeah. Ten signs you're an alcoholic. Well, you know what? It's been it's been a rough week. Right. Um, how do you want to do this then? Because I, I, I did that Google Doc with a load of, ugh, a load of shit on it. Um, with a lot of topics and things mm -hmm. that you want to go through. There's the old format that we used to do, which was just when we did it with Dave, it was just like news. There was a, uh, there was things of the week, and then there was I think Dave had like a I can't remember what sections he had to be honest. I think everyone brought someone to the table, but this time I've just kind of thought what interesting things are in the new the like the, the rock and metal news this week, and also the longer form kind of documentary format things that I want to do longer term is i think this is just a good place where i can just start picking away at it um but did you see that doc that google doc or have you just done your own thing uh yeah i've been through it i just decided not to um add anything and thought I'd save my responses oh, okay. you know live and uh try to be That's a bit more spontaneous about it so um That's if you want to stop fumbling about with shit and maybe <laughs> You go ahead and start, and I'll give you my feedback on all right, the cool. news. I mean, you I picked mean, a good week for news, by the way. You know, fuck all news this week. So. No, it's week cool. well, you know this. what? Andrew Tate's been arrested, so the alpha males have stepped in to, the, to fill the vacuum. Hmm. It does, yeah, 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 but I mean... When I thought of that earlier, I thought I'll say beta males, and I thought, no, because Shab will say speak for yourself. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I no, I was about to... Uh, you know, degrade the both of us actually, but I thought I, we don't need to do that. The viewers, the two viewers, will do that for us. So. Um, that's fine. You go ahead and start. Yeah, I mean, okay, that doesn't right, really. Right, fall, right, I was going to say that doesn't fall into our. I wish that this had a dark theme. I'm just completely blown out now. It's all right, whatever. So there's a few things that I want to discuss. I mean, do you want do you want like a news item, or do you want like one of my own sort of weird, tangentially. Um, trail of thought, sort of rabbit holes that I want to go down, because obviously one, the news things have ends, and then the trail of thought things don't. Well, I, I would, yeah, I would start with the news, to be honest. Okay. Okay, let's start with Slipknot then, because that was quite interesting. So I went to download last week, and I saw, I saw me a little bit mm -hmm. of Slipknot, but it was kind of, it was kind of fun being on Reddit for like that. 72 hour period because um, the keyboardist Craig Jones left and within 
Well, that happened. Then they took the post down. And then the post of the picture arrived. Right, yeah, under you. mysterious circumstances, we'll say. Yeah, yeah they... Um, we don't know if he left or he was kicked out or... Don't know. Oh, they, yeah, they've parted ways and, and that kind of stuff. There's a... Hmm. Clown, there was, clown was at home, which is fine. Um, and then he came back for download, which, you know, these things happen. And then they drop an EP. And this is the thing that's interesting to me. They drop an EP on Roadrunner. So it's like a new EP. Right, I didn't know that. But it's on Roadrunner, so it's like, hang on a minute. I thought, they, you know, there's the whole... Why is like, it? I thought they, their contract was... Hmm. Contract's up. I know Corey's been in the press quite a lot. Not shit-talking Roadrunner, but kind of saying, you know, it wasn't the same since, like, 2012, and with his solo band stuff, like, they didn't really push it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's worth mentioning, despite my literal role as the Roadrunner historian... I know, I know I'm not remotely close mm. to anyone in that camp to be able to comment, but I thought it was just quite interesting because I was thinking, you know, like how, you know, when Tom Holland, like Spider-Man, when his, his contract, his three film contracts up, and then he goes around on all the talk shows saying, mm. no, I've finished my contract now, so I guess that's it. Obviously, he's trying to bait more money out of Marvel for the next, you know, trough of shit that they're going to put out. I wonder if it was kind of like that. Mm. I wonder if they were just bad-mouthing Roadrunner for the last year or so. On the basis to know, maybe to drive something better, but at the same time, Rodan has had another change in command mm. recently. They've had like a new CEO, and I don't know if CEO is the right word. I think they've been using the word co-head between two individuals that have worked within the Warner system for a long time. So there's a big change. So that, that, I guess that's the news: change of guard at Roadrunner, which is somewhat significant mm. um, in terms of the personnel involved. Change of personnel at Slipknot, and also a seemingly resilient umbilical cord with roadrunner so i don't know it, I just, it but i don't know anything it's interesting though do you know what um cory taylor's solo stuff was released under uh that roadrunner? first one was roadrunner this one's bmg i think it's bmg i might be full of shit let's see right uh, it just seems i mean some of the comments not necessarily made by cory but um, by i don't know clown seemed pretty hostile and he seemed pretty keen to uh, move yeah. on from Roadrunner, so I don't know if it was really a ploy. Who knows? It seems unlikely, but I wonder. then again, have you heard this new um, instrumental single of theirs called Death March? Something to um, that extent. That was the... Yeah, sorry, BMG for CMF2. Um, was that the video with the, the dummies and things like that? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was mm. pretty good. And it wasn't it wasn't what the video or the song. The, vi the video, really song, the whole, the whole like sort of white noise. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I like, mm. I like spectacles like that, though. Yeah, but if they do a whole album of fucking white noise and feedback, then uh, that could be them sticking their finger at Roadrunner. Don't have anything because that's yeah, not gonna. Go that, down the too EP well. isn't that though. The EP is um, what's it called? Is it called Adderall or something like that? Yeah, I think I've seen the name of it somewhere, but Red or Red or How to Be Here. Yeah, it's like a it's like a proper EP. So you've mm. got bits and bobs. I'm pretty sure there's some stuff on the more recent album that's been not churned out again here, but um, maybe there's been like a, a different mix or something like that. Dinosaur, Acidic. Are all these complete? Yeah, Adderall's the opening track of the end so far. Death March is that instrumental bit. Red or Redder is a new track. It's worth it. I haven't listened to the whole thing. Um, hard to be. I don't blame you. Hard to be. So there's there's two there's two tracks on here that obviously haven't been heard before, from what I understand, and the rest are kind of different remixes of Adderall, which is the first opening track of the new album. Um, the end so far. So it's just like. We say it's an EP. It seems like almost, in terms of its content, almost like a single, like with B-size, maybe. Maybe this was like... Hmm. maybe. But uh, the Roadrunner contracts were... Do you think they just renegotiated the conditions of the contract and it's just more favourable and they thought, okay, we'll, we'll stick with them, presumably. If you were doing that, why the EP? You wouldn't open up your... Well, get something out there quick. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but there's not much point 
speculating, isn't it? Um, speculating, but it is interesting. I'm just saying it's interesting. I think that's the news of it. It's it's just mm. that it is interesting. There's nothing else really we can go on about on this one. But the no. fact that it came out. On oh, should we move on from yeah, Slipknot? Should we, should we move on from Slipknot? Um, yeah. So one thing I'm. Um, one thing I'm. This is another sort of. This is a documentary update slightly. Um, I don't know if I ran this by you, but um, I'm testing out the pit rig on Saturday. Right. Where? <laughs> Hopefully, if everything lands up, I'm going. Do to you want to say? Or? Um. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I should be at Outbreak Fest. I should be at Outbreak, and hopefully, if things yeah. line up, I should be in the pit with a few GoPros attached to me, and I want to see what that looks like. So okay. the pit rig, the pit yeah. rig is basically two GoPros uh, attached to two on two harnesses that are attached by, um, is it Car yeah Caribbean Eclipse, which are then again attached to an overall harness for runners, which has a light on the front. <laughs> So the whole thing is just designed to be like a right twat. I'm gonna look like a right dickhead. It's gonna be amazing. But hopefully, I'm having a chest-mounted camera and one on my shoulder. So the idea, and they're, they're gonna be like locked in, like with all the normal GoPro sort of um, hijinks and and straps and whatnot. Um, and then the light on the front is just like you're gonna like when I, I jumped in the pit, of Madball with the with the black magic cameras. And the issue with that was because mm. I was because of the the venue as it was laid out. The lights weren't anywhere near the floor. They were too, they were at an angle, so the lights were coming. So the crowd's ear, and the lights were coming down on them like that. Mm. So basically, you had like a bobbing head. You could see a bobbing head, but you couldn't see anyone smashing into each other below shoulder shoulder level. So the the the, the way yeah. to solve that for me was like right, okay, we'll just mount a, a small light on the front, and then hopefully the GoPros will pick them up. Right, you you're lighting the pit yourself basically with a fucking torch. Yeah, I'm gonna look like a right <laughs> I'm gonna look like a fucking dickhead. And yeah, I'm probably a target. Yeah. You're used to that, though, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So yeah, you can't. You don't like. And can you? Cock. Can you go there in a jacket with you know, like with a big press printed on it, like a, in a war zone? Can you at least do that? Yeah, with a helmet on it or something like that, saying um, yeah, ARP. Um, bulletproof fucking vest. No, it should be fun though. Ah, okay. I'm just gonna get the shit kicked out of me. But um, I think yeah. because, again, the, the stakes are yeah. lower and we're not delivering this documentary to anyone it's, and just doing it for ourselves effectively, I'm just going to throw that footage up on the Instagram page and just see what mm. see what comes to it. It was quite a big day today because we, we right. did, on the secret project, which no one knows about, um, that Unit 2 had their first filming day today. Yeah, I saw some comments, but they were a bit sort of, I don't know, cryptic, Thanks. so I'll just sort of swipe them away. Um, yeah, yeah, but if we, but we're being cryptic here, so there's not much point in uh, lingering on that subject, I suppose. But no, yes, I mean, there's uh, nothing, the only thing that's like, footage. yeah, it's just interesting that it's kind of, it's grown, it's grown the arms and legs that it's wanted a unit too. That's the, that's the interesting bit. But hopefully, I came up with a plan last mm. night, and um, we're not sharing anything until the first edit's done. And I'm targeting the first edit to be done in right. October. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that should, that, should, that should give you some ideas of what you should be up to in the next three months. Yeah. Well, well, I think I'm pretty much... Well, am I at liberty to reveal my role in this? Or? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I'm responsible for the... Slightly original soundtrack. Um, slightly original, yes. And I, I think, I think, like, barring some essential accompanying sound bites and little instrumental musics here and there, I think really I am kind of done with the soundtrack. To be honest, because oh really? I'm not. I don't want to turn it into a thirty-track epic. Um, I think um, the first got, like, edit is going to tell us. Now. Yeah, I mean, I think the first edit is going to tell us what is missing. And you know we can move from mm. there, but um, yeah. No, but I think it, in any case, I don't suppose there'll be a there'll be a call for you know a vast number of new tracks. So, no, um, I think the thing that's going to be right the, now. I'm considering my work done. No, fair enough. Yeah, good. I mean, I think um, the main thing for me is going to be once we get 
Um, the first edit done it. I'm gonna have to VO it, or I'm gonna have to have someone VO it who I'm not gonna mention. But anyway, yeah, it's not very too cryptic now. Mm. Right, okay. Do you want to talk? Can I drag you down my um, my rabbit hole ship? Well, are we finished with the news, or? Well, hang on. Do well, you we talked to... about Slipknot. Talked about Slipknot. Um, yeah. Talked about the pit rig. That's it. And there's some other. Everything else I've got here is kind of linked into this thing I want to jump into. But unless you've got, have you got some good news that you want to go to, into? Then I haven't got great news. I've got sort of obligatory, you know, is this comments what I think to make is? about some things and. No, no. I, I thought I think we've scrapped that segment, haven't we? So well, I was. Uh, I'm not going to go. I mean, if you want to, I will give you the floor, but you will have the floor, and I will just keep my fucking mouth shut. No, no, no. We'll. Uh, <laughs> I'll save my. I'll save my blushes. Um, no, I mean, when I said that the news was pretty thin this week, I meant it. Uh, like yeah. There's an official Iron Maiden Monopoly board game now available. Did you see that? I didn't see that. That's your birthday present ruined, but um, no, I haven't actually got that. I'm not going to spend 30 quid on a Monopoly board for you. Forget Thank about you. that. But that's that's new. Um, they've sold out, they, and they don't care who knows. Um, <laughs> Taking Max Sunday's first album turned platinum. That was kind of big news because that was a banger are they, I, can you, I, are you they probably, I don't give a shit about taking that are they big are they big big as in like well, what, what metrics are we operating were, on well on, on like the sort of mid noughties emo scene so but the mid scene is so like so they'd the, be the able top. to go platinum yeah yeah but let's say Michael Romance were the big ones there well that's not really mid is it I guess it is okay. Early noughties, I suppose I should call. I think I think the first album was two thousand two. Yeah. Right. So. Bigger than Finch. Things move fast back then, you know. Um. Well, I wouldn't. I would. I wouldn't throw them in the same like. Genre, really, but. Um, right. Like brand new, not, they're not bigger than brand new. I don't think, but. Uh, Someone out there knows what you're. Well, are you? Uh, no, I'm not talking about. Yeah, well, do you, you know, brand new, don't you? I know, but I, I don't know the scale of it because my 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 lens through which I saw those bands was you coming in, and Stuart coming in on a Thursday, and it's like, oh, it's so fucking brand new last night. It's like, well, I don't know. That's that's not. I don't tell yeah, me anything. Right. You know, well, yeah, well, that's what I mean. That 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 was my scene back in the days of high school. So that's why it's like news relevant to me. But then I see news related to fucking Slipknot on the scrolls <laughs> but um, well, at least it gets something that's of no slight interest to me that's fine I'm not I'm not critiquing your like of taking back Sunday what I'm, what I'm doing I'm just trying to get a scale because I don't know that that scene that's all I mean I wouldn't say you know we are 20 years post the release of the album so I'm not like still fanboying over them or anything you don't need to like <laughs> justify yourself to me uh uh, Queens of the Stone Ages. Josh Holmes reveals he went underwent cancer surgery last year. You seen this? You heard about this? I have. <laughs> I did see this. I kept getting um, Instagram ads for this new album they're doing, but because the the only hmm. thing I hear is like din 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 din. It's just like one note, but uh, but it sounds like uh, Crosstown Woman by no sorry Crosstown Traffic by um. Um, Jimi Hendrix, so I immediately think it's that and I just move on, so I haven't heard jack shit other than knowing that it's out. Mm. Well, it's more in your wheelhouse of A little taste, bit. So. A little, little bit. Something. I haven't heard anything since Songs of the Dead. Or Songs for the Death, sorry. Um, which was 2002. Yeah. Which is the year Taking Back Sunday came out with the first oh, song. You can see the. You can see yeah. how we've... Uh, <laughs> branched apart and then come back together. <laughs> we did it. It's called the callback. Well, kind yeah, of. I, we don't really listen. We don't actually listen to the same stuff now, do we? Not really. I mean, I'm, it's. I think this is an effort to try. As in, like this podcast is an effort to try and line it up a bit more. But um, well, we did that once with Dave, and to horrendous results. <laughs> <laughs> that was the greatest. The greatest. I, I destroyed his reputation. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like because it was two years ago, I'm going to reiterate the line, uh, and I'll butcher it because it's not going to be um, obviously had to be there. But obviously, you're into like a, a more American skewed, dare I say, kind of tech death kind of. You're more in that world, well, metalcore well, world. Well, what I re- what I recommended to him to listen to his periphery, so that gives you an idea. The, can, can. But that gives you an idea. But the point is, he is into much more European sort of power metal driven like traditional heavy metal mm. foundation stuff and i i think i sit somewhere in the who, middle. who was it that i was listening to i'm, I'm on a math I, I i had to listen to that but that was my homework for it i had to which you know like i left the last minute i just like blasted through the whole album like fucking hell this is this is just as gay as i thought it was gonna be <laughs> <laughs> um that's not a homophobic slurp you know you know when we're talking about like piratey sort of swashbuckling music but to like Viking legends and stuff that just like well, I think it, the best way the best way to describe it is when you said um obviously the idea was we could do a meeting of minds here and we'd be good to open Dave's eyes to some of the stuff you like and vice versa. And <laughs> I don't know if you prepared this line, but you said it's like you both like action movies, but while you listen to Stallone oh, listen, you watch like Stallone and Schwarzenegger films, he watches Marvel films. <laughs> he completely crashed. Yeah, and from and uh, yeah, since then he's just been referred to as Captain Marvel. <laughs> I even did a little Photoshop picture of him <laughs> with the only picture I could find on the internet of him. Ah, uh, the history of the format of this podcast. Why are we going yeah. on that again? Why were we talking about this? Uh, why we weren't like the same music because we're talking about oh yeah of course yeah yeah because the the idea was the idea is to just keep yeah the idea is to re-engage with this sort of stuff but yeah um what's your take on queens of the stone age by the way this isn't like a hot take i have no hot takes that's the thing for the podcast (laughs) there are no hot takes but my takes are all lukewarm as fuck but i'm wondering what your queens of the stone age hot take is i I don't have a hot i'm not gonna say like that they're terrible or anything uh so I wouldn't say my opinion is a hot take either. They're kind of slightly overrated, maybe. Um, but they're okay. They're just not I what th- I listen to, so they're okay. I think they're the, the disturbed of hard rock. So what disturbed is to metal, Queens of the Stone Age are to sort of like rock trending hard rock. That, that might be a little bit harsh. Might be a little bit harsh. I, I, th- I think it's like... <laughs> disturbed are pretty... The thing is, they're like un- unquestionably massive, a disturbed ride, but I've never met a disturbed fan. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There's some sort of disconnect yeah, between me okay. and the wider disturbed fan base. Like, there's loads of people fucking uh, love them. Just... And then I'm like, who, who, who are these people? I don't know where they are. But I mean, obviously, they, they appeal to someone. Same with Queens of the Stone Age. I think they are certainly there. They're certainly there. Mm. They're not really my thing, but they're this huge entity. But I've never met anyone who's like, oh, yeah, they're my favorite band. They're just bigger in America, really. And then that just like translates as, oh, they must be big everywhere. I don't know. Because, I mean, it's a bit like bands like Five Finger Death Punch, where you, you don't actually see anything about them in the UK, but for some reason they're massive. Or like Breaking Benjamin, like Kerrang never played them. So for us, they didn't exist, but like, you know, on American farm forums and stuff, it's like, oh man, I grew up listening to that stuff. It brings back memories, and it's like we never fucking heard that shit. Like, how was I supposed to find a Breaking Benjamin song back then if Kerrang on P Rock and Q and MTV Two weren't playing it? You know, they just yeah. weren't on our radar. Well, I think with the Queens of Stones, I don't like Songs for the Death is fucking brilliant, and everything before then is fucking brilliant. But I think they kind of like did this thing where they kind of, I guess, they found their audience and it slowed down a lot. I mean, I'm speaking out of turn. I haven't really heard a lot of it because none of it really engaged with me. Um, but I know Josh Homme went into a lot of production, um, the production world, and I think he did an Arctic Monkeys album. He did a bit on Sound City, which was like Dave Grohl project, and it all kind of like every, I, I have this thing where so everything he's responsible he touches, for other music-related crimes. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's mm. everything he touches seems to slow everything down around it, and I, I don't know what. I bet there's like I bet if you if I looked into it and tried to find like a through line, I bet it all makes sense and it all like be rationalized. But I'm just like, mm, that Arctic Monkeys album's fucking slow, you know, compared to the previous stuff. And who's mm. producing that? Oh, it's Josh Homme. Okay, you know, so I think he's he's got a particular brand, I think, 
But no, it's cots uh, don't do much for me these days. So I'll tell you my um my story of um the greatest bang for my buck in terms of live music. Go on. So um Nick Oliveri, who was the bassist for Queens of the Stone Age up until Songs of the Death. So he's like the topless dude. He plays with like the dwarves and you know, he's a he's got his mm. it's not just topless, bottomless as well. Yeah. <laughs> he's um yeah, he's yeah. got his yeah, he's got his background and he kinda like like Caius and like all, all the heavier shit. Um but he had like a bit of a reputation. Um bit rowdy, bit of a rowdy character and whatnot. And he was playing Sheffield Corporation. It must be about yeah, about ten years ago now. He was doing an acoustic set. And um I think those days were behind him, but there was still like this this sort of inkling of ooh, ooh, and it, you know, I, I, who who knows what's gonna happen. But it was twelve quid and he spat on a drunk guy in a uh, massive leather trench coat who was shit faced and it was it was just he thought because Nick Oliveri was like doing these acoustic songs it was kind of like a good close setting nice it's not quite a gig but like a it was stripped down and this mm. drunk guy was just he wasn't heckling he was just like bouncing all over the place and shouting with his mates and Nick thought he was um, like heckling and interrupting so he was just like proper like cussing him out and eventually spat on him and I thought this is the best 12 yeah. could have ever spent it's yeah, he's clearly never been to Sheffield before. Every other person. <laughs> he's in a drunken stupor. Uh, but You love Sheffield. Yeah, that, that guy who whose only like image I have of him is just walking around butt ass naked on a stage in front of like forty thousand people or whatever. And then an an a quaint acoustic set in Sheffield don't quite go hand in hand behind each other's two images, so yeah, and there had to be something like a spit-related incident, probably, just to bring it back to reality. Deliver- um, absolutely, right? Uh, I'd see him well, again. Like if you told me he was playing like Leeds or Sheffield, I'd be like, yeah, fucking, just get in. No, well, don't don't expect me to come. To be fair, <laughs> Does, did he deliver the acoustic set naked? No, he was he was um, smiling oh, dressed. Okay. He had a shirt on. He had a shirt on as well. I don't yeah, think I've t- ever seen him with a shirt. T shirt and jeans. I'm, yeah. so, I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. You sure it was him? Making a question of it. Hang on, let's fucking Google it now. Right, well, while you're Googling that, I'll just look at the little list of news you prepared. Oh, shit. Spill oh. drink. I don't I didn't see what you're doing. But... I spilled my bloody drink, didn't I? Um... I'm focusing on the question of if he was topless, but it don't matter. You carry on. Right, well. He definitely, he definitely um, had a shirt on. Well, just yeah, it's fine. <laughs> right. Well, I'll have to take your word for it. Um, okay. Do you want to move on to the next subject of post-pandemic challenges when touring oh, the UK? Right. Okay, so uh, you have to just bear with me because this is kind of crudely researched and it's kind of one of these things I want to keep coming back to. and I kind of want to build on it because I think this is like the right place to do it. Um, I'm just mopping up beer. Um, so, one of the things, as, as well as like mini docs and proper docs and podcasts and interviews and things like that, I kind of like the idea of going back to uh, sort of industry level, crit- not criticism, but sort of think pieces around metal in the industry and its sort of place in the whole world of music and, and you know, alongside like the modern day oversaturation and streaming culture, blah, 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 blah. And I've been trying to like play with the idea of how am I going to go about this? Um, what's the what what point of intrigue is there? Where would we start the questioning? And obviously, I did the interview with Ingested. Um, it must be a few weeks back now. Um, and we moved on swiftly to discussing merch fees at venues. Um, mm-hmm. This is a recent. It turns out this is a recent thing in the UK. Uh, like you know, fifteen twenty percent merch fees playing at a venue um and it made me start thinking all right what's the challenge because this is like a part this is a post-pandemic thing and another thing you know another slant on that kind of larger landscape in terms of the roadrunner project is one of the assumptions i made i went in with was all these bands are going to come through the uk and i was right about that all the bands that i want to film for the documentary are coming through the uk but there's no days off anymore and there's no capacity to do like mm. face-to-face things as they used to be and that's because they're they're trying to recoup what they lost in the pandemic 
but also Brexit's made things more complicated in terms of logistics, made it a lot more expensive to have days off. So, you know, that it's been kind of shit. But I want to get into the 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 weeds about why is the UK so non-viable now? I mean, the answer is clearly money, right? But if we take a step back and look mm -hmm. at the sphere of like incomes around musicians, um, and it ties back to the deals made and things like that. So we've known for the last 10 years, or at least 15 years even, that there's no money in the records anymore. There's no money in like the royalty side of it. Um, the There's less money in touring because the 360 deals take a bit of the touring as well. Merch is where you get your biggest bang for your buck as your uh, as a band. Um, obviously, now that's the last thing that they've started taking from. So I want to have like a wider conversation around that because as, as fans, we want to support the artists. So when Jay from Injustice says, you know, buy the merch, that's how you support the artist. We know there's a 15, 20% cut or whatever. Okay, that's one way of doing it. But at the same time, we also want venues to be alive. If you don't have venues, you don't have artists. Hmm. So it's like, well, who's coming to the well, table? Do the venues talent? need this? Well, do the venues I've need spotted. this income, really? There's something I've spotted. Something I've spotted, and I'll, I'm happily I'll share my screen in a minute, and I'll go into um, the the semantics of this. In fact, I'll open a new window um, and move into it. So, one thing I spotted, which kind of piqued my interest, was um, let's turn that off a bit. Three artists came into the UK this year on pretty high-profile tours. Uh, Blackstone Cherry, uh, Obituary. In fact, Obituary only did like one or two dates, so, you know, don't really count. But And Trivium. And I'm sure there's more examples of this. But what I've noticed is they came in and they did, like, either arena runs or an O2 Academy run, that kind of, that size thing. And now, a few months down the line, they're coming, they're coming back in like August and September and October. This time, they're doing much smaller mm -hmm. venues and many more venues. So I'm thinking, right, well, what's the business re the reasoning behind that? Is, is it less crew, less, you know, is it less overheads, more dates, less overheads? Is that the idea? And then I'm, I'm, what, this is what I need to start looking at. Is there a link between Live Nation-owned venues and non live nation yeah. and the merch right so i'm gonna now share hmm. my screen okay well, yeah it sounds like in these smaller the venues it would be a more like case-to-case -case basis like you know at the time they just sort of decide we're taking a cut or we're not taking a cut presumably because they're all entitled i guess to just say we're taking a cut you know it's not necessarily because of live nation rules and stipulations what the fuck is going on with this? Right. There's no A in there. It's got a spilt fucking beer on my keyboard. Luckily, it's a mechanical keyboard, so I can just clean it. All right, so. Um, where is this thing? It's the Goblin the Goblin and Wizards Tour. So, in fact, let's look at the first one. So, the first one. Okay. The Goblin and Wizards. Is this for Dave? Fucking Goblins and Wizards Tour. Right. <laughs> Go on. All right. Right, so let's, this is the one from, this is from uh, January. Uh, O2 Academy, O2 Academy, O2 Victoria Warehouse, O2 Academy Brixton. We see the link here. O2 Academy. Um, mm. And there's goblins and wizards, wherever that is. I'll find it in a second. Bleed with him. So now this is the... S Ooh, come on, man. Load it up. This is why we don't record things live. No, it's cool. Um, right, Corn Exchange, UEA, Rock City. Now we've got an O2 Academy in there. Stoke at Victoria Hall, O2 Academy, O2 NX, O2 Academy, Stylus, Bristol UK Academy, not necessarily O2 Academy, I don't actually know. Lee's Cliff Hall, O2 Guildhall. So, there's the comparison. Small, uh, less dates. Well, there's a few O2. O2s in there. Yeah, yeah, and then we've got a to lot more. And there's Rock City, and these are smaller venues than the ones they were doing earlier in, ja in January. So, hmm. let's have a look in terms of do they need the money. So, let's go to Oshu Academy Leeds. Yeah, my keyboard's fucked now. It's okay. Uh, this did have a wiki article. Nice to see you've come prepared. 
No, I was not totally planning on just going down. I think there's more work to be done. So I was like, I'll just like guide you by mm. hand on this bit a little bit. Um, so O2 Academy Leeds owned by Academy Music Group. Right. So Academy Music Group owns all these ones down here. All these that you've seen previously. Right. Mm. So who owns Academy Music Group? It is uh, Live Nation. Yeah. The deal also involved music promoter Live Nation, who owns 52% of the venues. Live Nation, Academy right. Music Group, renewed the agreement for blah, 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 blah. Tennis. There we go. Live Nation. So Live Nation owns 51% of these venues. Live Nation. Hmm. Operates the US company. Operating income at six and, uh, 732 million. Revenue for last year, 16.68 billion. Billion. For yeah, they really need that 50% merch code, don't they? For, for comparison, Lucasfilm last year made 450 million. So we have like these mm. association with brands and things like that, but think about it on this scale. But Live Nation isn't like even like the parent company. The parent company is Liberty Media. Right. So random fucking Just various random. shell companies going further and further up the chain. Yeah. No one's ever heard of shit ton of things like, yeah. Oh, shit, six in Formula One, Series XM, Atlanta Brace. I think they have bits in everything, basically. So. I think the answer to the question is, I don't think so. Oh, I didn't actually do the transition. Mm. There we go. Well, the answer is they have too much money already to be able to like monopolize the majority of venues in foreign countries is probably the answer. <clears throat> it's probably something like that. But what, the venue, I mean, of all things for a venue to be owned under one giant umbrella company, is so unnecessary. Like it's just a separate independent building operating with a bar, etc. Like they can make their own reservations with bands and things. It doesn't need to be you know operate under a big one company. It's a pretty simple business model. But uh, it's it's I want to say it's difficult because I was kind of expecting maybe the the venues really are struggling, and it's not to say a live nation. Earning sixteen, what was it? How many fucking how many billions it was? Uh, Live Nation sixteen point eight, yeah, sixteen point six eight billion. It might be they're making that elsewhere. They're obviously making it in ticket sales and things like that. Blah 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 blah, and artist management. So there might be I don't know. There might be a rationale in there saying, well, we only apportion this part of the budget to the venues themselves, and that fifteen percent helps that propagate. But I'm still, I can't, I'm giving them the answer here and I can't really make it work. 16.68 billions are down. No, no, no. I mean, I, I suspect the answer is greed. Just yeah. pure corporate greed. I suspect this is the answer, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, but no, no, I wasn't sharing the screen before, so I'm just, by comparison, there are O2 ones. I mean, further out into some O2s, but a lot of other ones as well. It's there might be something else to it. There might be something else like, and there might be another rationale as to why they've gone for more venues. Sorry, more dates, smaller venues. Um, but just in the context of like the merch sales question, I kind of wanted to play devil's advocate, and I kind of wanted to go, um, what are the venues thinking, and what are the venues? Like, what's there? What's there? Because there's got to be someone out there who goes, Yeah, that 15% we've needed since the pandemic. And I was expecting, like, in the sphere of artist income, I was expecting to go, Well, maybe now is the time to refocus back on the Spotify's of the world and relook at the royalty side of things. But now, like, that kind of theory, mm -hmm. that kind of theory is kind of fucked. But I think um, that's where I'd like to be looking into well, I think a little bit more. I think we sort of. Moving into areas that are outside our scope of, like, well, outside of the topics that would generally be covered in a music-related podcast. Like we're talking about, I think, I think I'd have to keep pricing like, going up in every aspect. Yeah, I think I can. You know, every aspect of, of life, like everyone is gouging prices. You go down to the supermarket now, and like, why is a bag of mozzarella cheese like three fucking pounds? Like everything has gone up every everyone is looking for a way to gouge prices one way or another it's not necessarily justified because they need the money I know. because they can 
I know, so, but remember, this is this is I, going you know, I would argue that is probably the reason support. behind it. Yeah, but this is going through the entire lens of like how do we support the the how do we how do you support metal and like outlier music the best way you possibly can? How do you? Do well, that? I mean, um, is um, would bands be able to like basically do what um, what do you call them? The fucking the leeches, the the touts that fucking sell you know fake merchandise outside the venues would bands basically be entitled straight after their performance to go outside and just sell their stuff on the street instead and not have to give a commission to the venue or would they be done for fucking panhandling or some shit instead of selling at the venue hand out a qr code or something like that and just get it online just take Hmm. well well, everyone knows how to get it online i think like part of the reason why people buy them at the venue is like it's a spontaneous decision and like yeah. they want to be able to say they bought it at the venue etc etc like and they see it there there and then so there's like reasons why people do it but i'm just thinking does it have to be done inside the venue you know if people can do it outside and just lay them on the pavement why mm-hmm. can't a band do that have to fight they could i mean they have merch guys who could do that basically yeah you can put a table out like a fucking car boot so. I remember the podcast I did with Kenny Garden, who was the Blue Great merch guy, and he was, I think, there was a situation where he'd say he'd get the muscle in to move the touts along. Um, hmm. I think where where that was possible to do so. So I wonder if that was, maybe I wonder if that's something that would be an obstacle to a band doing it. Because yeah. then, then the venue staff would be like, nah, fuck that. You can't go out on the street and do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm wondering. Like, they'll probably get aware of it at first, but if it came, if it became like a, you know, modus operandi for all bands to start doing it outside, like they'll catch on quick and start kicking them out if all bands are doing it, I suppose. But possibly. Um, like, if I were in that situation, I'd probably say if it's, if it's like if they're making like how much? How much do you think they make? Like on average, like say, a band. Well, I don't know what bands you know about like i was gonna say a band like between the buried and me on a given night in merch how much do they make i don't know but you don't know but some similar band that you know your man did, did a breakdown um of the what well, cost of getting on yeah. tour um but not like hmm. nothing of, of the return i think he just alluded to oh yeah we did good that day um and it, obviously he didn't tell you exactly what the revenue was so i don't know um but this is the thing this is kind of what i want what i want to explore a little bit more like i think like getting someone from a venue and getting someone from live nation on and going right can we just talk through what it is you know why do we need this extra mm. what's the model here i think it'd be valuable but if it is like a few hundred I, 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 if it is a few hundred quid that they're losing out on every night on that like sort of 15 20 percent commission or whatever that venues are taking them you know if i were in that position i would say okay well it's worth sending the merch guy out to Fucking sell it on a table on the in the pavement. Well, um, in just um, a bit, the example of playing in London, supporting Cannibal Corpse, they lost a grand. What? How? What? As in, just for the price of booking the venue? For everything, and it lost they, what? It had they not had that merch cut, they would not have lost a grand. I think is what they were alluding to. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. Oh well, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not on the side of live notes. Yeah, so I want to continue. I think it. you might struggle to, um, you might struggle to find someone from Live Nation who's willing to. I mean, they probably don't even have a fucking PR guy who can, like, be the face of the company and actually come on a podcast or an interview format, and give answers they on behalf of the company. But they probably categorically wouldn't. You do can that. try. No, no, I definitely would. You I might. Don't. The best you probably manage is a statement, but. What does that really mean? Additionally, um, I, th- I think it'd be more in the in the interest for me to get someone from like just some fucking some indie venues or something. I'll at least, at least build a picture. You know, that's what I'd like to do. Hmm. Well, when you when you start talking about like Trivium playing these smaller venues mm. and stuff, it's sort of um, there is like the small silver lining, I suppose, for fans that it's beneficial like the one beneficial aspect of this like post pandemic world is that fans get to see 
these bigger bands in smaller venues. It, it could be like it could be sim- it. as simple as those four dates sold out so quickly. There's clearly a demand, and there was clearly space for to provide a supply. But it's just a weird coincidence hmm. that Obituary and Blackstone Cherry are doing something similar. To me, no. Well, I mean, on your uh, on your little list of um, like articles related to this subject, there's there's a few bands that what have cancelled tours or like postponed them due to complications, logistic equipment, and you know vague reasons for cancelling. Basically, although some of those bands were like Anthrax, I think. And Kiss, um, which I, I, I'm sure, like they would be able to break even. I'm sure there's some other. It's not. I mean, yeah, maybe they don't think it's like worth it. Like I don't because think, of the I mean, potential I there's, cuts there's financially. It's possibly that, but I also think there's going to be one like in a Kiss situation. It's like the one lorry that mattered didn't turn up on time because it was stuck at the fucking border. That's like a real thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. Um, on the subject, I was going to mention the um, shout out to the YouTube channel KDH, which is probably one of the best YouTube channels for guitar related information. He right. did a video recently about, I think I mentioned this to you, a video about um, like guitars that bands are selling these days, where it's like, oh, give us five grand and we'll p- play your guitar on stage. Or like, here's a stage played guitar. Which we're selling with a massive markup because you know here's a picture of me playing it and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, he sort of covered most. Yeah, well, I don't know if it works now, but they're certainly trying. Like um, on KTH's video, their their focus was on Kiss, mm. and um, like seeing Jim, Gene, seeing Gene Simmons, Gene Simmons. Um, Simmons. <laughs> seeing Jimmins, seeing like... <laughs> <laughs> I prefer that name. Seeing Jim, the amount of fucking guitars he's got for like listed as like last kiss performance with a big mark on it. I feel like he's he probably was planning to take about ninety different guitars on tour with him to Europe, play like as many as he could for each concert so he could list them on his personal website to sell. Like we've got um I just like saved a little screenshot. We've got like the Chrome Blade Axe, which he was selling for sixteen thousand five hundred dollars. Uh, inquire for um stage played yeah stage played pricing starts at fifteen thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars. I want to say who's buying um, this, but um someone must be fucking doing it. Well, there's a lot of like hardcore Kiss fans that buy some pretty weird niche memorabilia in there, but this is a lot of money and it's pretty fucking shameless. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, if it was a smaller band, if it were, like between the barrier, well, I mean. Misha Mansour did that uh, reverb listing recent, like a couple of years ago, where he was selling all this shit. Yeah, and he was selling it for quite a lot, to be fair. But other, it, I think other that, people have was he marking sold it up for like the prestige, or was he just trying to clear house? Because it doesn't strike me as the guy. Yeah, well, he, a bit of both. No, no, he wasn't trying. He wasn't trying to big himself up, but I think his prices were pretty high. They weren't like cheap. Um, but there have been. Um, I can't remember who it was. There was someone a bit more um, classic heavy metal who was selling loads of stuff at like really reasonable pr- prices, and they just got all bought up like straight away by mm. um, the fucking towers. Basically, who then relisted them for like triple the price. Um, so not everyone does it, but um, so I'm trying to say it wrong now on purpose, and I'm getting it wrong. Seen Jimmins um, definitely is fucking like trying to find his payday on every given day. And yeah, I can see why he might have um, quotes, equipment complications mm. um, as a reason for cancelling his tour when he's got fucking 90 different guitars. I think he only cancelled one day. I don't think he didn't cancel the whole thing. Still... Well, it said there were six, I think. I think it said there were six in the UK which had all been cancelled. Just the opening? Really? Oh, no, wait. Okay, yeah. So maybe just the opening one. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Just, okay, I guess, I guess that bus load of guitars got lost then. But loads have though. I mean, mm. like animals as leaders couldn't come up um, recently because they were coming mm. with alluvial, and I was like, "Ooh, I want to go to that." And um, that got canned. Anthrax canned Europe, but not the UK, which I think is interesting. I would have expected more money in Europe than there is in the UK, but it depends on what it is. 
Um, who else has cancelled? There's been a lot of like and like semi-announced tours that just haven't like materialised. So who fucking knows? I think I think the the, the other um, I mentioned the silver lining to this problem with post-pandemic sort of touring world. I think um, I should also mention the other downside to it. Um, besides all these financial reasons that we've gone over mm. and logistical reasons, um, being like, don't you just fucking hate when bands write about being on the road? Bands write songs about the hardships of like life do on the road. Do, do they still like, do that? <laughs> I guess I guess they do. Like, has anyone ever successfully fucking written a song about the hardships of being on the road? Like we're we're just gonna all these problems are just gonna lead to even more of these songs. I think that's that's my biggest concern. We're gonna get more shit songs about life on the road. And my God, we don't need any more of those. I haven't heard of one in a long time. To be fair, I, I like modern bands doing it, or is it just like well, who who um can you do any come to mind specifically for you in like um, there was that Metallica Bob Sagar cover. Um, here I am on the road again. Here I am. Turn the page. That's it. Turn the page was the song. That's the big one. There's Tenacious D, which is just the road, which is obviously like a road. But Tenacious D can kind of get away with it because it's it's sort of romanticized to the point of comedy for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a shit. There must be a shit ton out there. I'm, I'm sure there's loads like um. I was thinking more like '80s hair metal and stuff, probably that you might recall. Probably like fucking white snakes. Um, here I go again. I guess is one. Hmm. I mean, some of these songs are okay, I guess, um, <laughs> but when they're not specifically about the hardships of being a band on the road and shit, it's then it just gets a bit too like esoteric, and you're just like, oh, I can't relate to this. It's not relatable. Um, yeah. I mean, like, there's bands that come to mind, like um, Asking Alexandria, when they sort of had a, like, comeback and they were playing, like, almost pseudo-country music. Mm. Even though they... Where, where are Asking Alexandria from? Like, Cambridge or some shit. Something like that. Which is the one from York? There's one from York in there. There's like a proper big death car band from York. Yeah, they're yeah they yeah they're from York. Yeah, yeah. The the Cambridge of the North, basically. (laughs) (laughs) They're from York. So so like these these like guys from York singing about like singing in a sort of country, very American, eighties sort of rock vibe was just like so Mm. fake. And then on top of that, it's about like life on the road, and it's called like moving. I think it was called moving on. Yeah. It's like the biggest piece of self in, self indulgent shite I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> like, We're moving on. It's like you're from York, mate. What the fuck are you singing about? I think like um, a bunch of like I bet Blackstone Cherry do one. I bet there's like um, Airborne do one. I bet there's a bunch where it's like it becomes so part of the aesthetic for like Southern rock that I just forgive it immediately. Hmm. But I do know exactly what you mean. Right. Yeah. Um, I know a, a day to remember definitely did one. Um, mm. I think think I'm not sure if it's the one where the chorus is like, "Hey, mom, I wrote you some soft songs." I think it's that one, and then he goes on to more specific examples of how hard his life is when it's on the road. But when they start using like the pronoun "we" as well, it's like, "Get the fuck out (laughs) of here! I don't want to hear this. Don't want to hear this in my. This was supposed to be an emo time. I'm supposed to be able to relate to this music." You should do a top ten list of um, least relatable emo songs, <laughs> and they're all about the road. Yeah, they're all about the road. I can't think of any others that aren't relatable. To be fair, because every other song is about heartbreak and <laughs> wanting to die. So it's exactly, we can all relate to that. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> any other new segments? I think I'm that's my. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean. Obviously, the Live Nation stuff is something I want to look into. I mean, like, look, it's it's just one of those... It's an academic thing that I like to jump into. I use Tribune as, as an example because it was kind of night and daylight between those two tours. And the answer is probably a lot simpler than what I'm thinking it should be, but it is just kind of strange 
when you look at those Live Nation numbers and go, oh, yeah, you don't need that 15%. You fucking must be off your head. But that guy from Spotify is taking mm-hmm. on like $8 billion a year or whatever the fuck it is. I think it was. Um, let's, Spotify CEO salary. Well, on the subject, um, there was the article I saw on Ultimate Guitar. You linked it somewhere else about uh, Danny Filth in an interview recently talking about the Spotify royalties. Correct, yes. Um Yeah, basically, it was. I remember the com. I specifically remember the comments on Ultimate Guitar being confused about what he meant about getting like twenty three pounds. Like no he one knew if he meant the person as well. Like, do you remember? I don't. Yeah, I don't really remember him saying giving a figure out. But yeah, um, he literally said like he, I think he literally mentioned like three quid for X amount of um, views. That's hmm. oh, yeah, streams. Well, but, yes. well he's. Yeah, and the interview was like it was a bit confusing as to what he meant by twenty three pounds or twenty pounds. Like, if he meant that was his annual sort of royalty fee for yeah. millions of streams or whatever. But I mean, obviously, it's pretty ridiculous. They're obviously taking a big, a much bigger cut than they need to the distributors, and I think the same applies to you know ticket sales, venues. Etc. Exactly. It's a whole estate, and I mean to be it make to have it make sense. I need to look into like the Pearl Jam Ticketmaster history. Um, there's quite a lot going on, but I think that's that's what I'd like to. I like a little mini. You know how like the Great Cat documentary came about, which was just like a staggering of different interviews that all sort of ended up relating to the Great Cat. I think I'd like to do something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's going to be difficult to get the rich elite to talk about why they're taking more money than they need to, so good luck with no, that. I but... think, I mean, you can still tell a story from not having to speak to those kind of people. You can, you can uh, tell, just like with Donio, we've just gone, we think there's something fishy. Oh, look, they're making 16 fucking billion. So Dan, just to do the Spotify angle, Daniel X net worth is 5 hmm. billion. I don't know what his annual salary is, but he's a billionaire, but the artists get jack shit from their streams. And I know there was a guy who did a video on YouTube called The Dark Side of Spotify, which was really interesting, which talk it speaks about the weighting of like the weighing of royalties in favor of the bigger artists. So even if like Taylor Swift Taylor Swift will get more money from Spotify, even if she's the lesser listened to artist versus say a thousand other nothing artists, if you know what I mean. Like so if there's mm. if there's a million streams, one million went to Taylor. And nine million went to like these other artists. Collectively, the other artists will still make less than Taylor Swift because it's not issued out that way. That's kind of an interesting angle as well. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's uh, the pitfalls of unregulated capitalism. This is exactly. Oh, of course, yeah. We need these are the answers, right? So, I mean, you know, who who who's to say? Who can say like this guy who? You know, had the vision to set up a streaming service like Spotify. He's not entitled to take as much as he wants. Like that's the world we live in, oh, yeah. isn't it? So, oh yeah, there's a um, there's a legal um principle around this, which is you can't legislate um in any manner that would interfere with the bar- the the bargaining position of parties, which is the whole Wolf of Wall Street thing of sell me this pen. I'm going to sell you this pen for a million quid, right? Because I can say that because mm. I've got the pen. And you can either pay for that or not. And that's kind of, that's the bargaining position. So in a similar capacity, mm. I've said it for a while, like you need like a big dick, like a Q prime or a five B to say, we're not playing venues for a merch cut of who are taking a merch cut of X, you know, but whoever's going to step, mm. step up to the plate. That's, that's a different question, right? <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, some bands take the initiative in terms of how do we cut out the middleman as much as possible, obviously, like Periphery are probably like the biggest example of a modern band who, um, you know, started taking the initiative in terms of um, retaining the rights to their music and the masters, etc., and just looking for a record deal purely for distribution and nothing else. Yeah. Um, and they were like one of the bands, first bands to do that. And obviously now they, they've set up their own record label and they just very selective with who they choose to actually, you know, release music on behalf of. And, you know, Misha has his own home studio and they do all the production recording and mastering themselves. So they cut mm-hmm. out all of those fees. They don't need a, you know, 
uh, investment up front from a record label, which they're going to then have to pay back in other ways. It'll be yeah. sort of extortionate ways. So, I mean, there's that. And I think, like, you can argue, like, bands need to take the initiative then if if, it, if they're not happy with, like, the fees for merchandise. Well, why don't bands put money together to just, you know, buy their own venue and start running their own venue as well? I mean, they, you know, they basically at this point are becoming more and more compelled if they want to make things financially viable to just um, control every aspect of, you know, their career and their industry. Like, you know, maybe they need their own stream. Well, Tidal was a streaming platform set by like Jay-Z, which was supposed yeah, to be for, it, that, yeah. for the artists, I think. So yeah. I suppose if someone as big as that can't quite, you know, Convi and that was supposed to be like um, uh, lossless audio as well, wasn't it? it was like flat yep. lossless audio. So there were other there were other benefits to that. So, so I suppose no matter how big you are, you're never as big as the faceless umbrella corporation who's running the whole thing behind the scenes, are you? So even no, Jay Z can't. But I mean, things like venues, I suppose. Links. Yeah. Yeah. Things like venues. Well, the problem is, like, who's big enough to buy a venue in, like, around the area of, say, Manchester City Centre? Like, you have to be, you have to have quite a bit of money to do that. You know, that's quite interesting. So, one of the, it's one like... of the animals, remember the animals, well, I say the animals, the House of the Riding Sun, that band. The, a couple of those are the, right. the guys that built Newcastle Arena, Motor Point Arena. Is it Most Point Arena? Oh, I don't know. One of them. The big arena uh, in Newcastle where everyone plays. That is done by venue uh, by right. band members, or at least it was in like the seventies. It'll probably have been well if it's Motor Point, then obviously it's been by, bought. Yeah, but they bought it. But... Live Nation. Yeah, Live Nation. but I mean, yes. yeah. I, I guess, I guess some, I guess for bands as well, it's like if they're big enough to be able to afford to buy a venue, what what is really motivating them to buy a venue and then have to deal with the logistics of that? Unless it's someone like um, Seen Jimmins who just wants to. Make who probably throw up the fucking commission on the you know merchandise fees even more than the current Live Nation sort of contract. Anyway, I, tickets, such a greedy... um, I, I did want some tickets to this new tour that was happening, and standing tickets were like fucking well into like I think it was like 180 for like a, one standing ticket. I was like, ah, fuck that. I already went to the last tour last time they did the last tour. I'm trying to find it. What kiss? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I think my, yeah, I think my mate had the same thing. One hundred ninety-five twenty-five for general admission, and seats were one hundred sixty-seven going down. Obviously, depending on where the seat was, but no, I think I think as a, I think my I think the obligation here, and again, I guess this is kind of what's worked for this podcast so far, is like just trying to make elevate certain conversations which aren't often elevated because it is always it's, it's easy to just go oh it's corporate greed probably is corporate greed but we need like there needs to be a narrative around that like who was responsible for it who's who's where's this sort of come from and is the answer to like in the sphere of of artist income is it revert back to putting pressure on the spotify ty um, types obviously nothing can come of it in terms of like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't expect to radicalize the moderates and get all the artists to take this uh, their stuff off Spotify, but I do think a, a more mature conversation is warranted, rather than sound bites. Mm. Um, so I, I intend to pursue that. Well, yeah, I mean, there probably has to be a collective effort. I mean, it's like any aspect of the current price gouging economy like has to be a collective effort otherwise you know who, who they're just going to continue to take advantage so yeah um, i think the initiative i mean i'm not going to you know claim to know that i know what the answer is for artists but i think like you know one such answer is to, to you know, go the go the periphery way and the way that a lot of people artists choose to do these days when they're um trying to retain the rights of their music by mastering them mastering and like promoting it themselves on social media etc and they're actually signed kind of gaining some autonomy in those in those areas so yeah. they have to sort of look for ways to find more autonomy in a, you know areas like where they're going to play well let's um i mean you know what fucking djs do in england they just fucking 
set up set up their little desk and on in a warehouse without con you know like consulting the whoever owns the fucking warehouse and then just like have a secret fucking buy they make loads of fucking money basically and then police come and break it up but they've still they've still made their money like bands can do that there's nothing stopping a band from doing that yeah bands are different um, creatures, again though. i'm not like <clears throat> hmm well they're different, they're different creatures they're yeah, a, lot, but... a lot more risk averse the stakes are always higher with the band which is why it's always it's always appealed to people i think because it makes it seem i think mm. a good band makes it seem bigger than it actually is i think it's yeah, a certain think, kind of character yeah. to get i think point, but... yeah i think a lot of metal and rock is more like the appearance of being um rebellious and anti-establishment than actually being that way i guess correct um, you know what what was it that i sent you a picture of the um, metallica flavored water that was on oh yeah yeah the metallica you see that yes fuck me, fuck me like yeah and the uh and the iron maiden monopoly i mean if there if there are like idols for anti-establishment and whatever anti the sort of capitalism then yeah, I mean, artists have got no fucking hope, have they? <laughs> the irony no. as well. If there was a Metallica Monopoly, like, it'd be quite funny. There should be a Kiss Monopoly. Mm. A Scene Jimmons. Just Kiss everything else. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, have you got anything else? Do you want to do you want to use the time for anything else, or do you want to keep it just like as we have done now? Um. Well, we can we can see what we think going forward. If there's any specific yeah. segments you want to throw in, but that's a discussion for another day. I think. I think so too. Should we call it there? We can do. We did it, guys. <laughs>